TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is 1209. You are listening to The Shaletta Show on News Talk 830 WCCO Radio, your good neighbor station. My name is Shaletta Brundage, and I'm the host of the show. Josh Wheeler is here pressing the buttons and making sure everybody's on the line. The songs play, the commercials fire off. He is taking good care of me. And I tell you what, uh, the roads have been taken care of. I did not have any problem coming in here uh, this morning uh, from Cottage Grove all the way to downtown Minneapolis. It is uh, beautiful. It looks like it's Christmas time. It looks like snow's coming down. It feels like Minnesota. And I just have to tell you, I've been out and about yesterday. I was over at the Capitol uh, getting ready for Black Entrepreneurs Day, and I, I was talking to some folks. And, you know, one lifelong Minnesotan said, I haven't seen it like this in December since 1988. I don't know if this is global warming. I don't know if it's climate change. But I I just, you know, I I expect this kind of weather down in Texas in December. I do not expect it in Minnesota. I expect snow. I expect outdoor fun. I expect tubing and sledding and hills. And it, it just, it didn't feel like Christmas. I have not been motivated uh, to put up the decorations in the yard, we put the tree up, but it just it's it's the feeling of the snow and and feeling like I'm living in the snow globe and looking out and and seeing the snow in the backyard or the kids making snowmen. So I don't know about anybody else, but I am excited that the snow is finally here. But what took it so long? We'll find out today because Uncle Mike. That's what I call him. That's what my kids call him. Mike Lynch is actually coming on the show. I love Mike Lynch. Let me tell you something. If anybody says anything bad about Mike Lynch and I'm in the room, I'm slapped the taste out of their mouth because I love me some Mike Lynch. Mike Lynch, when I first walked through the door at CCO Radio, he pulled me to the side and he said, I just want to let you know you a star. And I want to make sure that you know it's your job to always shine bright, and I see you. And I just could have cried. I crumbled right there, right then and there, because just having someone of his caliber um, who has such a rich and long history in this business tell me something like that, walking through the door, I just I felt like the sky was the limit. And, and I just have to tell you, when I, I first got to CCO Radio, um, Mike pulled me to the side and he loved on me and blessed me. And, um, my shift was 8 PM to 4 AM. I was hired to be overnight weekend producer. 
because at the time, um, my three kids who um, have autism were very severe. And I knew that I needed to be home during the daytime um, so that if the school called or they had to be taken to therapy sessions or we had IEP meetings or, you know, they needed to go to the doctor, I, I needed to be there for my children. I was not in a position um, and did not have the support to work during the day. So the 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. shift was perfect for me. And another thing that was perfect about that time was that I got a chance to work with Gerilyn Steele. Um, She hosted for a very long time, more than two decades, still talking on Sunday nights here at the Good Neighbor Station. And, um, you know, I, I came in and Jonathan trained me up real good, gave me all the paperwork, made sure I was set up for success. And then I sat um, there pressing buttons as she interviewed guests and as her siblings came in and, and did her show with her, as she talked about issues that were important. And, and, and what I saw and learned from Gerilyn Steele was how to treat people. I'm not saying I didn't know how to treat people before I met Gerilyn Steele, but I'm saying that I've never seen somebody love on a community the way Gerilyn Steele loves on the Twin Cities. She genuinely cares about everybody and wants to see everybody succeed. I thought it was fake at first because I had never seen anything like it. I was like, surely this woman is not this sweet. Okay, this woman got to be some kind of, you know, an alien or something because I've never seen anybody love people the way Gerilyn Steele loves people. When she had guests, they left high and lifted up. When she had people on the phone, you know, after the interview, she always took a moment to encourage and inspire them and tell them what a good job they did. And if they didn't do a good job, she would talk to them and and coach them up. And, And she did the same for me. You know, if I was having a good show, she told me if if there were areas where I needed to improve, she gave me that advice and then followed through with it. She checked on my kids. She made me feel at home and she saw um, what was possible in me. And in her, I saw what was possible for me. There were no other black women on radio, on CCO. Gerilyn was it. So if on your vision board you wanted to be a host at the Good Neighbor Station, you wanted to be on air at 8.30 a.m., Gerilyn was it. So what everybody else had, like a Mercedes Benz or a jet or a a stack of money on their vision board at home, I had a picture of Gerilyn Steele. And I'm going to just tell y'all something. I don't know if she knows this, but I have followed that woman everywhere she goes because I want to follow success. She was at CCO Radio. I came to CCO Radio. Want to know why I'm at Almanac? Because she was at Almanac. Anywhere that she is, that's where I want to be. So I can sit at her feet and learn and soak up that knowledge. So when I found out, like everybody else except Brad Lane, who can apparently keep a secret, that Gerilyn Steele was retiring from her Sunday night show, Still Talking, right here on the Good Neighbor Station, I was heartbroken. I was crushed because this woman is a legacy. She's not leaving a legacy. She 
is a legacy. And so oftentimes when we talk about um, trailblazers or first or people who um, broke the glass ceiling or made history, we're talking about them in past tense because they're no longer here. And so while I have breath and while she is listening, I just want to thank Geraldine Steele for everything that she's done for not just me, but for women, especially black women in broadcasting, because you can't see what you can't be. And if there's no Geraldine Steele for me to see, then there's no Shaletta show for me to have. So I'm dedicating this entire show to Miss Geraldine Steele. I love you, girl. I thank you for um, being one of those women who was able to reach back to the next generation of broadcasters and lift us up, being one of those women who reached back to the next generation of broadcasters and advised and loved and coached us, um, who fought for us, who advocated for us. Um, We owe you a debt of gratitude, and we are um, excellent because you set the standard. We'll be right back. I made it. I made it in the snow. I remember when I first got to Minnesota and it was always like a challenge for me to leave the house because, you know, as a native Houstonian from Texas, born and raised, whenever it snowed, um, that meant that the whole state was shut down because we didn't have the infrastructure to handle snow. So the answer to snow down south is stay in the house and don't come out until it melts. And so that's that's the philosophy that I brought when I moved to the Twin Cities in 2004. I moved here November 2004, uh, had a job as an assignments editor at KSTP, worked with Chris Berg and Bob Sabo and Lindsey Radford and Becky Nam and Annie Hua and Patrick Armijo and Reg Chapman and Angela Davis and Vanita was there and and, and Tom Hauser and, and Mike. We were all there, right? Um, and, and I was on the assignments desk. And so it was November 2004. And, and let me tell y'all, I lived directly across the street from the station. I lived at 808 Berry, which is right next to the Egg and I. Now, this was before the light rail. So you could literally walk across the street. I could see the front door of KSTP from the balcony of my condo. That's how close I lived to the station. If I spit, I could probably spit from my balcony to the front porch at KSTP. That's how close I was. But um, so so I got here in November 20, 2004. And, and so um, I, I'm, I'm at, at, at home, you know, um, and it's like a December day. And uh, it starts snowing. And so I said, oh, good, it's snowing. I didn't think that I had to call anybody. I didn't think that anybody was expected to go to work. I assumed using my Texas information that I've grown up knowing all my life, that if it's snowing, everything's shut down. You don't have to go out of the house. There's no need to leave the comfort of your couch. Stay where you are, make some hot chocolate, some oatmeal. We're going to ride this thing out. So that's what I did. I brought my Texas snow emergency values to Minnesota, and I'm going to just tell you it didn't work out well. So I'm sitting on the sofa, 
in my condo at 808 Berry directly across the street, not down the street, not two blocks away, not three or four streets away, directly across the street from KSTP TV, where I was working as a night side assignments editor from 1.30 until 10.30 p.m. And um, it, about 2.30 or so, I'm I'm on the couch. I'm, I'm eating oatmeal. I'm watching old episodes of Scooby-Doo. I don't have kids at the time, but, you know, Scooby-Doo is what I was doing. And, um, you know, I was cuddled up. I had a little fireplace. And uh, Bob Sabo called. He was the assignments manager. And he said, hey, Shaletta, um, listen, are, are you coming to work today? And I said, Bob, no, uh, I'm not because it's snowing outside. And he said, well, Shaletta, in Minnesota, we actually go to work in the snow. And I said, Bob, I've never heard of anything like that. That's ridiculous. You telling me that everybody showed up today except me, everybody's in the newsroom? He said, Shaletta, everybody is here except you. Uh, and, and so I said, well, how am I supposed to get there? Because there's snow on the ground. I don't drive in the snow. And he said, well, Shaletta, um, I don't know if you know this, but you are literally across the street. You could probably walk and, and with, within 100 paces be at the front door. And I said, but, Bob, I, I don't want to fall. I don't want to slip and fall. I, I, don't, I don't think I have the right shoes because they told me to buy boots. Scott Libin did. He said, buy boots. Make sure you buy boots. And so I thought, oh, cool, buy boots. So I went to Nine West and got high heel boots. So I was slipping and sliding all over the place. I didn't know he meant snow boots. He did. He wasn't specific about that. I talked to Scott Libin about that just the other day because he almost made me break a hip. Um, and so I was like, okay, I don't have the proper shoes. It's snowing outside. I don't drive in the snow. I'm not doing it. And so apparently uh, Bob Sabo had me on the speakerphone. And I was frantic about driving that one block in the snow or walking the 100 paces. And so everybody in the newsroom was listening to this conversation and giggling because they thought it was just so funny that I was so afraid of being outside in the snow. And so they all, the entire newsroom, got up and they walked outside to the front porch of KSTP. And this is how close I was and wouldn't leave my house because it was snowing. Uh, Bob Sable said, now, Shaletta, I want you to step out on your balcony and wave. And when I stepped out on my balcony, I could see all my coworkers. And they were across the street at KSTP on the front porch laughing at me because I refused to um, come outside um, because it was snowing. So I believe, and this is, I'm thinking this was what happened. I think that Bob sent Russ Brown, God rest his soul, he's no longer with us. I think he said Russ Brown to come get me because I refused to drive in the snowstorm. And so I was just, you know, I'm just so proud of myself that this morning when it was snowing outside that um, I drove here and there was not an anxious bone in my body. That's growth. That's what growth looks like, because that was not the case back in 2004. Now, I'm telling you, I'm excited about the snow, um, and I'm excited to talk to Mike Lynch, because I want to know, has it ever been like this? You know, the grass is green in Cottage Grove. Um, There's, you know, trees still have leaves on them. It's been unseasonably warm. And I've been just kind of, you know, doing an informal survey with some of my friends who've been living in Minnesota all their lives, born and raised here, um, roots, generational roots here. Um, and, 
and you know they they can't remember a time. One one lady I, I talked to at the Capitol yesterday, uh, Miss Ann Johnson, who was giving me a tour, said, "You know, Shaletta, I remember in 1988 something like this happened. You know how long ago 1988 is? My kids call the 1900s the olden days." So if it happened in 1988, it's been a while. So so what is this weather phenomenon? I, I know it's going to impact our farmers. That's the thing. You know, I have to say, as a mom who, who have kids that want me to go outside and play in the snow, who track mud and dirt in the house with the boots, and I'm constantly having to remind them to take them off, and then I'm having to, like, clean up and vacuum and, and, and sweep the, the salt rocks out of the house and, you know, all the stuff that comes along with the beautiful snow in the Minnesota winters. I, I can say that I'm I'm glad that I don't have that to do, but I do need to say that I miss snow. It makes you feel some kind of way that you know Christmas is coming. You know, we're going to look up, y'all, and it's going to be May. Are we going to have any snow mounts? Any? So so I'm going to talk to Mike and find out from him, number one, how long the snowstorm is going to last, how how many inches should we expect to have, um, and also if he's ever seen anything like this and if there's a name for it and how our Farmers are going to be impacted because they count on that snow to saturate and cover their ground. Um, and they're not going to have it this year. They are not going to have it. Not like, you know, they've had it in years past because we usually have it on the ground by now. So Mike Lynch is coming up at one o'clock. We'll have him uh, coming up in the next hour. And also don't go anywhere because we're going to be talking uh, to state Senator Carrie Dietzik. Uh, she is going to be joining us. We'll get an update on how she's doing as well as what is going on in the legislature. They start back up on February the 12th, and I want to know what is on the agenda. They've got a list of accomplishments that the Democrats said that they um, put forth last year. So are there any new initiatives, any new things, and, and what can we expect as residents, and how is that going to impact our lives? I want to start living better. I want my neighbors to start living better. I don't want to pay a whole bunch of money on taxes. You know, I, I'm telling you, I started this business three years ago, and I, I have never seen anything like it. The taxes on small businesses is amazing. I can see why small businesses don't last now that I'm a small business owner because the amount of taxes you have to pay is absolutely ridiculous. It can put you out of business when you start factoring into uh, all the different types of taxes, including payroll tax. So I'm going to talk to Carrie about that. And also, there's an amazing event going on uh, tonight. I'm going to be a part of it. I am excited about it. And we're going to tell you about the monitors when we come back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Doncic. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. You know, before my daughter Cameron was diagnosed with autism, she was diagnosed as having a discipline problem. The school will call me and say that she's not following instructions. Uh, she's not talking to her friends. She's not 
paying attention in class. She's not following the rules. She's not participating. I even had one teacher to tell me that my daughter had a bad attitude. And knowing what I know about autism because her brother, Brandon, had been diagnosed, I I remember going into the school one day and said, you know, instead of saying that my daughter has a discipline problem, how about we do a diagnosis? How about we see if she has autism? There's a spectrum. And this thing can present in several different ways, and sometimes it is just socially. Could that be the case? Instead of her having a file filled with negative and derogatory things about her attitude and how she doesn't want to participate and how she's standoffish and how she's a behavior problem, could it be that she has autism? And so as an advocate for parents who have children with special needs, I've gone all across the country talking to parents of every color and every denomination. And the one thing that I continue to hear from black parents is that our children get labeled as having a discipline problem instead of getting a diagnosis of autism. And why is that? Why do black children get diagnosed late? I said, you know what? I I don't have the answers, but I'm going to call somebody who does. That's why I'm talking to Brandon Jones. He is the director of the Minnesota Association for Children's Mental Health, and he is joining me now. Brandon, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking about this topic. It's so important. Now, for folks who are just listening, the Minnesota Association for Children's Mental Health is an amazing organization that you are at the helm of. Can you tell us more about that? Absolutely. Our organization is designed to work with parents, caregivers, young people, and professionals in the state of Minnesota to make sure that professionals have information and tools that they need through professional development and making sure that parents and caregivers have the tools that they need and the, and the information and skills through resources and direct assistance. And then we offer a voice for young people to express how they feel about mental health and their challenges that their friends have and even sometimes their self. And you are there um, doing that work in these spaces. Well, what is the ultimate goal for the organization? Well, the ultimate goal is to make sure that every young person in the state of Minnesota has an opportunity to have optimal mental health. And what we mean by that is to be able to live their life to the best of their ability, no matter if they have a diagnosis or not, they have the ability to grow up in healthy environments. Their parents and caregivers have this, the information and skills to offer the support for them. So we try to do as much as we can to spread all across the state to make sure that every child has a chance. Now, Brandon, you um, have been on this show before. This is not your first time, but it is the first time that we are talking about this. Um, You recently recorded a podcast about why black children with autism get diagnosed late. What have you found in your research? Yeah, I came across a few different things, but one article that really hit home for me, which inspired me to do the podcast episode, was from an institution called Child Mind Institute. They wrote an article a few weeks back called Why Do Black Children with Autism Get Diagnosed Late? And when I was reading the article, I came across some things that I've seen when I was a clinician myself and things that I've talked about with some of my clinical peers 
about black clients. And it's a twofold thing. One, it's a system and a, and a field response to black children, as you kind of talked about here in the opening. You know, sometimes our children aren't, aren't diagnosed efficiently because assessments aren't done because of the preconceived notion that these are behavioral issues and not an actual mental health concern or issue. So so a assessment will be delayed when it probably should be intervened at the first kind of sign that something may be off with the child. Now, a lot of that has come from just the institutional racism that we see within, you know, all these institutions in our society with the, with this, the racialized assumptions about the behaviors of black children. And I'll be honest, those assumptions are backed up by the things that we see. I mean, they're not just made up out of the blue. These are actually things that we see as well, but that doesn't mean that a young person who has some criteria or showing symptoms should not get the assessment. So that's one end of it. Mm -hmm. The second end of it is the communal response as well. We have to be honest about that as well. We have black parents who deny some of the symptoms and things that they see within their children. Oh, We'll say things, and and I've seen this in my own family, where we'll say things like, oh, you know, they're just growing, they're having growing pains or you know, or they're just a little slow or they'll be all right. You know, we minimize what we're seeing when we recognize that something might not be right and we won't get that child assessed or we won't, uh, we will deny the diagnosis sometimes when they do happen because of we don't, we have a level of shame and guilt. You know, parents feel bad that their child is labeled autistic. Now, what does that, how does that make me look? Did I do something wrong? Things of that nature. At the end of the day, either way, if either issue happens, whether it happens, you know, uh, in solo fashion or in the combination, the, the outcome is to make sure that the child has the best possible care they can get so they can develop with the autism diagnosis and live a life that makes sense for them. Now, you just hit the nail all the way on the head and, and, and pounded it into the ground with these two things, implicit bias yep. and shame. So yep. so you, you can't even get to um, the help. If you are too embarrassed, and, and I've seen this, Brandon, um, where, you know, I'm talking to a parent and it is clear that their, their children have the symptoms of being mm-hmm. on the spectrum. Uh, you know, I, I was at an event and I was talking to this group of kids and there was this little boy. He was fl- stemming and he was spinning around in circles and he was flapping his mm-hmm. hands. And, and at the end, his mother came and said, well, thank you for being so kind to my child. And I said, well, which one was your child? And she said, oh, the one in the blue shorts. And I said, oh, the one with autism? She said, no, he doesn't have autism. He just acts like it. Now, right. here's a child who's right. 15 years old, Brandon. He's missed yeah. 15 years of therapy, 15 yeah. years of IEPs. 15 years of social services that he could not get because instead of saying, you know what, let me go get a diagnosis. Let somebody else tell me that he doesn't have autism. She said, no, he doesn't have autism. He just act like it. I have to be honest and tell you, Brandon, I wanted to run her over with my car because I was so (laughs) mad thinking about all the services that this child missed out on so that he could have a better quality of life because she didn't want to be embarrassed or ashamed. Right. Yeah. We have, we have to empower parents to understand that shame is not a part of the well-being of our child. Shame is a part about not doing something about it and not giving our children the opportunity to live healthy lives. That's where the shame should kick in. You know, our children experience a lot of different things in the society, but it's up to us as parents and community members to give them the opportunity to live a healthy life. And that means with their mental and emotional health as well as their physical health. Now, we can do something, Brandon, about the way we think. 
we can change our way of thinking. And, and, and the reason that I write these children's books about my children, the reason that I'm always out speaking, the reason that I'm holding free workshops, the reason, you know, that I talk to parents at two and three and four and five o'clock in the morning when they're crying is because I want to change the way that they think. I, I want them to, to look at me and look at my family and know that it is okay that things can and will be better. I, I want to offer them some hope, um, you know, once they, you know, see that there is an issue and, and, and they don't have, you know, anybody else to call or on or to lean on. I want them to know that they can lean on me. So, so I'm trying to change mindsets, but, but Brandon, by mm-hmm. myself, I cannot change this implicit bias. And this is, um, this, this is a, a wall. This is a brick wall and it is keeping our children from having a breakthrough when the healthcare system and the school system is stacked against young black children who have special needs and they don't see it as let them get a diagnosis. They see it as a discipline problem. Where do we go? How can we even get started to change that? Absolutely. Well, we have to, first we have to encourage these institutions to be okay with saying, you know, this this ethnic group, these African-American children, have a particular disposition when it comes to autism. Just like we look at the Somali community, we've seen that here in Minnesota, that there's been an increase in Somali children who have autism. It's okay to say that. It's okay to do research on that and bring in the community who has the cultural knowledge to work in tandem and do some community co-creation around making sure that we have services that makes sense for those people. We know that in the medical field, just like many other fields, that there's not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to treatment. And some folks may need some cultural adjustments. We have to start doing that work, which means that these institutions have to not be scared to name things as they are and be willing to just work, you know, get, utilize their genius in the medical field and work with community to the best of their ability. There is a disconnect between institutions and community, but we have to work through that. And I think there's no better time than now. Unfortunately, the medical system's overrid, uh, same thing with the mental health system. The pandemic has led to all types of concerns around our health, and people are coming looking for services. We have to think of some creative ways to respond to this demand. Now, one thing that you did in your podcast was come up with some creative ways. We're going to keep talking to Brandon Jones about how we can make sure kids in communities of color get diagnosed with autism before it's too late. We'll be back. I remember when my son Brandon was um, first presenting with the signs and symptoms of having autism. Um, My family said, wait and see. He might get better. Just hold on. And even the doctors said, wait and see. Just hold on. But it was the white women, the moms in my therapy group who said, don't wait to see Get the diagnosis because otherwise the insurance won't pay for the therapy. Go ahead and get the diagnosis, get the insurance, pay for the therapy so that your child can get better. I know he's only three years old, but you want him where his five-year-old friends are when he goes to kindergarten. The school is not going to do everything for him. You've got to start early. Early intervention is the key. Now, what if I didn't have these white women in my social group? They cared enough about me and my child to tell me to go ahead and get it done right now, not to wait and see. This is coming from my family as well as my health care provider. Two trusted sources. I got to go against the grain. I'm fighting on both sides and then still got to fight for my child. 
And this is a barrier for parents in communities of color who have children with autism. They get diagnosed later. The studies are out. The information is in. And that's why we're talking to Brandon Jones. He's the executive director of the Minnesota Association for Children's Mental Health. He is joining me on this show. Thank you for continuing this discussion, Brandon, because I need all the grandparents and aunts and uncles and caregivers and moms and dads who have children with autism, who are black, Somali, Hmong, Latino, indigenous, to listen to this conversation so that we can make some real change and some real headway so these kids can and will get better. Absolutely. And we we have to be honest, when disparities happen, we all, we automatically go to the blanket answer of racism. And that doesn't mean that racism is, I'm not saying that racism isn't present, it is. But that shouldn't stop us from getting the care that our children need. And if you would have believed that those white women who told you to take your child in and get that assessment done, that they were being malicious or that they were trying to harm you or your child, you could have delayed that treatment even further. And sometimes it's not necessarily about the racism that takes place. It's about just our preconceived notion with it. And there's a term called racial battle fatigue, which is coined by a man by the name of Dr. William Smith. He's at the University of Utah. And he talks about the mental gymnastics that people of color go through to prevent racism from happening. And I think that there's an element of this prevention that happens, but we don't always get the best care that we need to get we don't always build the relationships or get access to things because we perceive that we're automatically going to get harmed. And I know that, you know, in this world, we do have to be cautious, but that doesn't mean that everything is out to get us. And when it comes to our children, we have to do what's best for them. And sometimes we have to take a chance and see what ends up happening. And I think when, this is what we're seeing here with this autism, uh, these research studies, is that we've delayed the, we have delayed our health for so long and we've been hurt by the medical system. Let's not, you know, let's not lose sight of the history, the historical trauma here. But at the same time, where we are today, there are people who are just out there to do their job. And we have to make sure that we're just taking a chance to get the help that our children need. We're talking to Brandon Jones, his latest podcast, Why Do Black Children with Autism Get Diagnosed Late? Uh, the title of his show, it, it Is Not Your Fault. It's a teen mental health podcast. Um, I, I just thank you so much for putting this information out there. Brandon, when you were doing the research um, and, and you were reading these studies and, and you were uh, researching these articles to get this information, what surprised you the most? What surprised me most is that most black children get diagnosed with autism when they're in their preteen years. I mean, that, that's, that scared me because I know that that early intervention is important. And if your child's getting diagnosed at 10, 11, 12 years old with autism, and they probably had it their whole life, like they, they, their whole elementary school experience, they're behind, which means that they're having a whole, you know, four to five year catch up just to keep moving forward in their educational experience. So what does that mean when they become adults? You know, how, what is the delay or what, what do they, what kind of skill development do they need to just be able to, you know, function somewhat even independently on their own? But that, that's what made me, that's what I thought of. You know, my, my podcast focuses on adolescence. So when I came across this, I'm like, what is the adolescent, what is the black adolescent teenager with autism? What's their life like? Well, I found out their life was a little bit more difficult because they didn't have that intervention until about a year or two 
prior to being diagnosed. And that has an impact on everything and not just on that child, but on the entire family. Because what I'm finding, Brandon, is is that black parents who in in, in Somali and Ethiopian and Latino and Hmong and indigenous families who don't get that diagnosis until so much later only do so um, because the school is saying, Hey, Listen, we have to provide these supports. Hey, listen, they need extra time to take tests. And sometimes, you know, it is difficult for them to even convince them to do it. Truth be told, and I I haven't spoken about this publicly, but I have Somali and, and Ethiopian moms who are sneaking their sons to therapy because the fathers don't want the children diagnosed and they don't want them getting help. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, you talk about battle fatigue and, you know, all the, the mental gymnastics that you have to go through to get help for your children. It, it is it is so difficult right now uh, for parents, in addition to the long wait list and lines, just the misinformation um, that is out there. You know, when you put that on top of the mistrust, uh, these kids are in a bad situation. Yeah, yeah. And and the response has to be a holistic response. Parents, community these institutions, whether they're healthcare, education, we all have a duty to make sure our kids get have an opportunity to live an optimum life. Brandon, if there's a, a caregiver, a grandma out there, um, and and you are, um, you know, a mental health professional, here, mm-hmm. here's the difficult part. You see your grandchild, you see your niece, you see your nephew, and they're presenting, right? And mm-hmm. and how do you then approach your uh, sister or your granddaughter or your daughter and say, your child needs a diagnosis. Yeah. What I would say, I would point out just whatever the, whatever is showing up in this child's life that seems to be somewhat of a difficulty or delay. And I would say these things your child should be doing, or it should look like this instead of what it looks like today, we should get a diagnosis. And I would emphasize that um, or we should get an assessment, excuse me. And I would emphasize that assessment and a diagnosis is just a opportunity. It's an answer to a question. It's not a label or an identity, and it's not the end for your child. It's really the beginning, so they get all the help that they need and really try to explain it in a way of this is going to be a journey, but the journey is an opportunity for a better outcome for their child and themselves because once you get that help, you're not struggling alone. You don't feel isolated as a parent or parents or caregivers you get to have a, a – really, you can almost build a community around support and help. And some people just don't know if that's out there until they get involved. So the assessment is one piece of the puzzle. That's the beginning. It's not the end. Now, Brandon, I'm my phone is lighting up right now, um, as you can yeah. imagine. So are my DMs. Um, people really want to know how they can get in touch with you. You do speaking engagements. Um, you come in and talk to groups. Um, folks can have you in. Um, and learn from your expertise. I've been in some of your workshops. They are absolutely amazing. Um, You are able to break these very complicated subjects down 
in a very practical way so that everyone can take it, digest it, and use it in their everyday lives. And that's the type of conversation we need to be having. Um, So I know that, you know, you go to schools, you go to churches, you do community groups, um, you do education for parents and caregivers and therapy teams. Uh, Can you talk to me about how folks can get in touch with you? Because for the people who are reaching out to me now in real time, like I'm not on the radio, they just be emailing me. Can you give me Brandon's phone number? Listen, man. I'm doing a whole show. Can you hold on? I will ask him. Okay. I'll ask him. I will ask him. So, you know, folks are wanting to know how they can get in touch with you because I'm sure they want you to come and and speak at their events or, you know, in their workplaces. Absolutely. I'm going to give two websites because some parents, they might just want some resources and some parents or some people might want me to speak and engage. So if you're looking for resources, please check out my organization's website. It's www dot m a c m h dot org so like mac mental health dot org m a c m h dot org we have tons of resources not just autism all things mental health tips tricks um you know information whatever you need check that out that's m a c m h dot org if you're looking for more speaking engagements or to to engage with me individually uh you can check me out at my personal website it's jegna dot org that's j e g n a dot org J-E-G-N-A dot org. Nice and easy. You can find me. You can uh, submit um, questions or um, a message there, and I'll get back to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. It has been a great conversation. Um, Folks are continuing that discussion on my social media channels and with one another. Um, You are changing lives and doing good work. Brandon Jones, thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Take care, everyone. All right. And you all don't go anywhere. There's more of the Shaletta Show coming up. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com. 